the Lord. Amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet. If you would, open your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. We are in chapter 1, wrapping up chapter 1. As you do that, our core kids are dismissed to their classes. Their teachers will meet the children in the back. And if you're a guest and you have children, you can also walk back there with them. Colossians chapter 1. And we'll begin reading in verse 24, Colossians 1, 24, when you got it, say so. It says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of the body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me, mightily. God, thank you so much for your word that is true. Thank you for this day that we get to celebrate and worship you. We thank you, Lord, for every mother in this place, and we honor you, Lord God, for your grace and the gift of mothers, Lord God. And we just pray, Lord Jesus, a special blessing upon each mom that is here. Father God, those that can't be with us today, we pray for them as well. And Lord, I just, I, I pray for those that are in this place today, Lord God, and, and even not, not here, but Heavenly Father are, are missing their moms today. Lord, I just pray for them. I pray for your perfect comfort. I pray for your perfect peace. And Lord God, I pray for your strength. And I pray this morning, Lord, that we would hear your word, that our ears would be opened, and that we would not just hear what you're saying, but that we would respond to it in faith. And we pray, Lord God, that you be glorified in the preaching of your word. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you do not have an outline, make sure you raise your hand really quickly to be able to um, be sure that you get an outline. I want you to be able to follow along with us in the introduction of the sermon. And also, I want to be sure that you can read along with us in our memory verse um, so that way we can be sure to, that we're working on that memory verse together, right? We started this last week, right? We read it three times together, and so we're going to continue doing that all the way throughout this series to ensure that you are memorizing this verse and at minimum that you're meditating on it. And the reason why we want to do it three times every week is because if you'll sit down and I assure you and you'll spend some time just going over this verse and rehearsing it, it's going to be a lot easier than you think um, to memorize this verse. And so um, once all the hands go down, then we'll go ahead and we will start our uh, memory verse communication together or repetition together. And so everybody, everybody's ready. All right, so here we go. So it says, ready, one, two, three. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, 
the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Again, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. One more time. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. Give yourselves a hand. Y'all like got more confident as we went along. I like that, right? Like you started to wake up. You, you, you were not afraid of your voice, right? Like you start out, you know, doing something in repetition like that. And everybody's like kind of soft, like how's my voice going to sound and all that kind of. I feel you because this morning, you know, it's been a long time since I sang with the worship team. So, you know, I was feeling all of that, you know, imbalance and all that good stuff. But, you know, nonetheless, your voices sound beautiful. Amen. And um, we're grateful. And so um, this morning we're continuing in our series. Uh, and I do want to say happy Mother's Day to all of the moms here. Can we just give the moms a hand? We, we're just grateful for them. Um, we're continuing in our series here, um, Jesus is the Mystery. It's, it's all about Jesus. The title of the message this morning is Jesus is the Mystery. And one thing, if you look at your outline here, we live in a world that is in desperate need of real and lasting hope. Would you say amen to that? We live in a time that our world is in desperate need of real and lasting hope. The problem for many people, even many professing Christians, is that our hope is in things that are not unchanging. And so when I say real and lasting hope, we have to have a hope that is there, a hope that doesn't change, a hope that is solid, a hope that no matter what I am facing, it remains consistent. And the problem is, many times we put our hope in things that change. We put our hope in things that are solid one day, and then they're not solid the next, you know. Some people's hope is in the stock market, and it may be going up, and then all of a sudden, you look at it, and it's going down you know, going up, going down, and one day you're doing great, the next day you lost money, you know, and so we put our hope in those types of things, and that is something that is going to change. That's something that's not going to remain consistent, and so we have to have a hope that is real, a hope that is lasting, and the hope that we can find in Christ, it is in him, and it is in him alone. Jesus Christ is our surest hope in all things. He promises to be with us no matter what. He promises to keep us no matter what. He promises, he promises to love us no matter what. And he promises us a secure eternity with him no matter what. Does that sound like sure hope? Yes. 
That's sure hope. That's real hope. That's a hope that is real, a hope that is lasting. And in the Apostle Paul here, as he's writing to the people of Colossae, he is reminding them of the hope that is within them, a very powerful reminder for them. And so here's the big idea that I have for you this morning. The hope we have been given must be shared. Simple, right? The hope we have been given must be shared. The, you know, and, 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 I, and I think about this, and, and the one thing that I, that I realize is that we live in this world, like I just said, that needs hope, that needs real and lasting hope. And the question is, where are they going to find it? Where are they going to hear about it? They're going to hear about it from you. They're going to see it in your life when you are going through trials and hardship and difficulty in your life. They're going to see hope. They're going to experience that through you. And so we as believers have to recognize that we are supposed to walk in a certain hope in the Lord of, of, what, of who God is and what he declares for us in the scriptures. And so the first thing I want to ask you to repeat after me is this. As, as we minister hope to others, we must be prepared to suffer. How's that for hope? As we minister hope to others, we must be prepared to suffer. Right? That sounds really hopeful. Like, Bishop, you were so hopeful a moment ago. And I'm like, now I'm giving you false hope. I'm not giving you false hope. I'm just letting you know that in the ministry of hope, right, when you're giving hope to others and offering hope to others, you need to know this. The enemy is going to strike at your hope. Are you here? When you are trying to minister hope to the lives of other people, you're going to find yourself going through hopeless situations. You're going to find yourself suffering. Difficulty is going to come into your life. And the Apostle Paul shows us in verse 24 and 25, look what he says. He says, I now rejoice. And when he says, I now rejoice, he is, he is, he is literally like when he's saying now rejoice, it's almost like a, a moment that, that, that there could have been despair. But the way that he's writing this is, I now rejoice in what? In my sufferings. Hello, somebody. Come on now. He's rejoicing in his sufferings, in his sufferings. He may not be rejoicing in the fact that he is in prison, so don't get it twisted. It's not that he's rejoicing that he's in prison. He is rejoicing while he's in prison. Are you getting that? He is rejoicing in his suffering, in his suffering. He's not, he's not happy about what he's going through. It's just like us. I mean, we could go down the list of things that you may be going through that are difficult in your life, situations that you may be facing. And, and you know what? As you go down that list, and maybe right now it's all good, maybe it's not, I don't know. But the reality is, as you go through that list, there's been some moments in your life that you have been suffering, and you may not have been happy about the moment, but you could still rejoice in your suffering. You can rejoice through your suffering. And so what does he say? He says, I rejoice in my suffering for you. And it's funny because when he says for you, remember, if you go back, right, like if you just read this nonchalantly, you'll be like, oh, for you and just kind of read like normal. But wait a second. Paul didn't plant this church. Remember, Paul hasn't even seen these people yet. He's never been in contact with them. The only contact that he's had with them is the contact through letter that he's sending to them now through this epistle. The only, the only um, revelation that he has of them is coming through Epaphras, that person who we know is the one who probably founded this church, and yet Paul is suffering for them. 
He's suffering for them because what? Because they are a product of the gospel which he preaches. And he goes on and he says, And fill up in my heart, in my flesh, that which is lacking in the afflictions of Christ. Another difficult statement there. For the sake of his body, which is the church. And so all of this suffering that the apostle Paul goes through, he goes through because of what? Because he cares for and he is concerned about the church. He cares about the body of Christ. Of which, he says in verse 25, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you. Again, there it is. He's pointing to them to fulfill the word of God, to fulfill God's purpose. One of the most dangerous lies that many people believe is that being a Christian is an easy road. Hello. One of the, one of the biggest deceptions that is there is that when you came to Jesus, nothing was going to be hard again. Nothing was going to be difficult again. But you know what happens is we fail to realize the scriptures tell us to endure. You don't need to endure if you're not going through anything difficult. You don't need patience if you don't need to wait on anything, right? You don't need to be long-suffering if you're not dealing with difficult people. Are you here? I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of stuff in there, like, I don't need to bear with you in love if you're easy to just bear with, right? Like, I don't got to bear with you. Like, it's easy. You're easy to love, so I'm not bearing with you, right? But, but the Bible says bear with one another in love, right? You don't need humility in your life if you don't have, like, some pride issues that might rise up sometimes and people might not stir some things inside because it's all their fault, right? Never you, right? It's always them. They pushed your buttons. They brought you to that place. But the reality is that we've been lied. And, and, and see, here's the thing we got to realize is that we have been promised joy over suffering or joy in suffering. Are you here? See, this is the hope that when I am suffering, when I am going through difficulty, when I'm going through hardship, I know what? That God is giving me joy. He is my source of joy amidst the storms that I may be going through, amidst the difficulties that I may be facing in my life. But here's what I want to tell you, and this is just a reality. We are never promised joy apart from suffering. Are you here? Without suffering, what I mean by that is we're not promised that we're just going to have joy and there's, no, there's not going to be suffering. The reality is he promises us joy, but there are going to be suffering. We're promised that there's anybody who wants to live righteous in Christ Jesus, guess what? You're going to be persecuted. Are you here? Any, anybody who wants to live righteous, you want to live righteous, everybody is not going to love you, right? There's going to be some people that are part of the home team that ain't going to love you. Hello. Right? There's going to be some people in the church that are not going to love you. They're not, they're, I mean, you know, some people that you sit by, some people in your home that are not going to love you. Jesus tells his, his people when he's preaching in, in the gospel, he said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I mean, read that scripture, like to turn a household against itself. Why? Because when you start to stand for truth, hello, when you start to stand for the truth of God's word in, in, in the midst of a world that people don't want to hear this. And listen, people in the church don't want to hear this. The church today, doesn't, don't, don't, a lot of them do not want to, a lot of church believers, when I say church, I'm talking about believers, they don't want to hear the truth of God's word. Listen, we just want to be told everything's going to be okay. We want to be told just think positive, it's going to be all right. Listen, the reality is, this isn't just about positive thinking. Hello. This is about understanding we're going to go through hardship, we're going to go through difficulty, and the moment that we decide that we're going to stand for truth, guess what? There's an opposing force. There's an enemy that wants to oppose you. The moment that you say, you know what? I'm going to live for the glory of God, that enemy stands against you, and he's going to come at you through different vehicles. That's the reason why we have to always remember that our battle is not flesh and blood. 
We have to remember that we, that you, that me, that we are not the enemy, that there is a spiritual force that is behind the opposition that we're facing, no matter where the opposition is coming through. And so we stand firm, what? In the faith. We stand firm in the full armor of God in the moment and times of suffering. Most importantly, we know, we must know our joy, understand this, will never be fully realized until we move from this life to the next. Do you get that? See, in this world, we will experience joy for sure, but you will not experience joy to the full. Here's, here, here's the reality. The reality is if you experience everything that is good on this side of heaven, what do you have to look forward to? If your joy is just full in there, and, and, and what, what are we looking forward to? We don't want to just have everything in this life. We're never going to have everything in this life. And so the apostle Paul, he describes his sufferings as what? As an identification. I said that was a difficult thing there, that second part of that verse. He said, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, right? And it almost sounds like when you read that, it sounds like Paul is saying like he is suffering, you know, like, like, he's, like, like there's something missing, like something wasn't finished in the work of Christ. That's almost how that reads when you sit down and look at that verse. But what, what, was, what, what happened was in those times, there was, there was something that was in Jewish thought. It was called the messianic woes. And what that was, it was suffering aimed at Christ. But because Christ is gone, his people endure it until his return. Did you get that? It's suffering that was aimed at Christ, opposition that is aimed at Christ, but because Jesus is not here physically, we as his body are what? We are the ones that experience this suffering in our bodies. We experience this. When we live for him, we're going to suffer. But here's the thing. That is because of what? Because the enemy hates Jesus. Hello, somebody. He doesn't want us to serve God. He doesn't want us to walk with God. He wants to hinder us from living for the glory and the honor of God. And so we have to make a choice and say, wait a second, am I going to embrace the reality that, you know what, while I'm preaching hope to others, I may be suffering? While I'm communicating hope to others, I may be suffering. And listen, you may be in a moment in your life where you're not really suffering, like, hey, this is easy to hear. But you know what, for that person that is going through it, it's not easy for them to hear this. It's not easy for them to say amen, and that's the reason why we need to minister this same hope unto our brothers and our sisters, because we need it. We must recognize that we have been given a stewardship. Say stewardship. So in other words, we've been entrusted with something, right? We've been entrusted with this beautiful and glorious gospel, right? And when we look at the gospel again, I, you know, I, I always want us to think about the implications, what the gospel is. And when we look at the gospel and the fact that we were all born into sin, separated from God, that we are rebels by nature, we rebel against God, we break his laws. The Bible declares that we are sinners. The Bible says that we are enemies of God, before we come to Christ. And so we look at that reality and then we see that nothing that we do will ever be good enough. Even when we wake up one day, and I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of conversations with people and they feel like, I need to clean myself up before I come to church. You met that person? Maybe you were that person. I need to make myself right before I come to church. I got to get right before I come into these doors, not realizing that, listen, God is the one that makes us right. 
But we have this idea that I can do enough good in order to get right with God. That's a false truth. That, 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 that's, a, that, that, that's a fictitious um, um, a thought that comes to men and women. We think, oh, well, I, I can do enough good stuff. No. Or maybe I can give enough money. No. Maybe I can do enough religious things. Maybe just coming to church is enough. And I hate to tell you this, but coming to church, coming to Bible study, singing songs, all of that is never enough to appease God or to make you right with God. So something has to happen because we're separated from him because of our sin. And so we look at the cross of Jesus Christ and we are overwhelmed by the reality that God comes in the flesh. He dies in our place, lays down his life. The one who is who, who we have made ourselves, his enemies, dies for us. And this is the reason why we have hope. Because if he was willing to die for us and we were his enemies, how much more is he willing to walk with us and we're his friends? How much more is he going to walk with us and keep us and strengthen us and encourage us when we are his friends, his sons and his daughters, when we have submitted unto his rule and his reign? He promised, see, what happens is at the cross there's this great exchange. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of him who died for us, that is Christ Jesus. And so the beauty of the gospel is that he gives us a new identity. He gives us a new name. He gives us promises that we can stand on. And you know what? That's the reason why we're hopeful. We're hopeful because he secured us. And he said, and he tells us that there is a place, there's an inheritance that is waiting for us. He is the one who says all of that to us. Therefore, we live our lives in hope. And here's what I, the reason why I share that with you. Because what I just said right now, you're a steward of that. It's not just the preacher on Sunday. It's not just the leaders in the church that are stewards of the gospel. You all are stewards of that message. You all are accountable for that message. As a steward, you're one that's going to give an account. It was actually a steward in those days was a slave of the house, and he was the one that was going to give an account. He was a servant of the house, and he was the one that was going to give an account to the master in the home, and he was going to do what? He was going to be the one to say, hey, all things are running according to the way that they should be. Money's being spent the way that it's should. Things are running the way they should in this home. That's what that means to be a steward. And so when we come to Christ, what do we do? We become his servants. He's the master. And we're going to give an account to him of what we did with what? This ministry of hope that he has entrusted all of us. And, 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 and remember this again, and I say this as I close this point. As we are faithful to this call, we will suffer and we will need to be strengthened by the same hope. See, the apostle Paul, he said what? He said, I now rejoice and my sufferings for you. Because he knew that he was offering them hope. He knew that he was offering them something, and therefore he was able to rejoice in that same hope. The second thing, ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, as we minister the hope of the gospel, our aim is maturity. As we minister the hope of the gospel, our aim is maturity. Listen, ministering hope is not just making people feel good. Are you here? Ministering hope, and listen, some, let me give you an example. When I gave you the first point, that was me ministering hope to you. No, Bishop, you weren't. You told me I was going to suffer. I'm ministering hope to you. I'm letting you know God is going to walk with you through your suffering. I, I mean, that's, that's going to be hopeful when you're walking through it. Right now, like, like you know, right now, you don't, you, you're, you're not feeling, like, hopeful, especially if you're not suffering. Like, man, I don't want to suffer, Right? It doesn't, but, but here's the reality. My aim is not to make you feel good. My aim is to help you grow in maturity. And this is the same thing the Apostle Paul's aim was. Verse 26 to verse 28, look what it says here. It says, the, minis the, the mystery 
which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Look up to verse 22 really quickly. I want you to notice the same, the same verbiage that is used here. In the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Remember last week we talked about that? And so what is, it, what is Paul saying here? Paul is pointing something out to us that the work of Christ is being worked through us. And so we'll get to that in a moment. But the apostle shows clearly what or really who the hope is. He, he calls it a mystery. That's what he calls it in verse 26. Look what he says. He says, the mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The reason why we sit here today together is because this mystery has been revealed to us. The reason when we sit and we, and we partake of communion together, it is because that is a symbolism. It's a reminder of this mystery that Jesus comes in the flesh, dies in our place. That is this mystery that God desired to reconcile us and bring us into a relationship with him. That is the mystery that we have been given or that he's speaking about. The overarching goal of sharing this hope is to bring people to faith in Christ first and secondly, to bring them to maturing faith in Christ. So to bring people to faith, to bring them to know Jesus, and then also to help them grow in their maturity. The Apostle Paul makes use of this word mystery. And this is an important word to think about because he's using this word for a reason. Now, we, gotta, we, we always got to stay in the context of the book, right? Not just reading these verses, but staying in the context of the book. What is he saying here about this mystery? Well, first of all, he's communicating this word mystery because there's another group of people that are talking about mysteries. Those are the mystics or the Gnostic believers that are there, and they're talking about this mystery. Remember, we talked about it earlier, the answer to the question of how a good and holy God can create things where there is evil or there is sin, right, in this earth. And so they have this answer to this question, and what is it? It's that everything that is natural, all of this stuff is bad. The things that are not natural, the things that are spiritual, those things are good. This is this mystery. And there's only a select few that get to understand this mystery. Therefore, the masses are supposed to follow the few. Are you getting this? This is what they were teaching. They were saying, hey, you know what, you guys, you, you don't really get this because we're the, we're the spiritual gurus. We're, we're, we're the ones who have been enlightened. You ever heard that statement before? You know, we're, we're, we're beyond that. I told you about the conversation with the young man that I had the one night that I was driving him home. And, and you know, in morning I was driving him home. And, you know, he, we started talking about that. And he was a Christian a long time ago. And now he's beyond that, you know. And we had this conversation because he's been enlightened. And so the idea is there's people that have been enlightened is what they're trying to communicate. Same things today. Someone's been enlightened. Someone's got a deeper revelation. And even though you you don't see it, right? But because they're spiritual, you just got to follow it. I want you to know, if you don't know this yet, that is the sign of a false teacher. When you can't get the same revelation they get, there's a problem. Hello, somebody. 
When, 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 when they're the only deep one in the room, when they're the only smart one in the room, where you don't have the access to the same information or the same revelation that they have, there is a problem. You know what Paul does? Paul says, hold on a second. This is a mystery. You know what the mystery is? It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. In other words, it is Christ to all of the world, not just a few gurus, not just a few spiritual people. It is Christ in us, the hope of glory. And so what is this hope? This hope is that, number one, it is Christ in us. That is meaning God is present with us in all things and everything that we do. And then it is this word, hope of glory. What is that? Future reality. So you have the present reality, Christ in us, the hope of glory. And then you have a future reality. He is the what? The hope of glory. Looking forward to a day where, you know what? It may not look glorious now, but one day. It may not be perfect now, but one day. It may not be exactly as I'd like it to be, but one day I'm going to see the glory of God. And you see, that church is the hope that we have. That is the hope that we offer the world that is around us. And sharing the hope of the gospel, what does he go on and say? Verse, 20, verse 28 there. And, and, and this is really important because he says he does this, but I want you to notice something. There's a word there. Look what he says. He says, this I preach. Is that what he says? What does he say? Come on, talk to me. This, we, verse 28. This, what's the next word? We. Say we. We. You know what Paul is saying here? Paul is saying, listen, it's not just I that preach. It's not just I that warn. It's not just I that teach. It is we. See, what he does is he moves it from being his responsibility to being a collective responsibility. Everybody that is involved in Paul's life, they are preaching. Hello, I know y'all like, I'm not a preacher. Well, yes, you are. Yes, you are. You are called to be a preacher. Not like this. I'm not telling you you got to get up on the front on Sundays. You don't ever have to worry about that, right? Very few people are going to have to ever stand up here on a Sunday. That's just a reality, right? Because I'm not going to put that pressure on you. You're not, you're not, you may not be gifted to be the communicator in front of a congregation, in front of a group of people. That doesn't mean that you are not called to be a preacher. What does it mean to be a preacher according to scriptures? It means this. It means to announce or to make known. You, know, you realize that, right, that you can make him known. You don't have to be loud. You don't have to be long-winded about it, but you can make him known, right? You make him known in your lifestyle, but listen, I want you to understand, you have to announce him. You have to proclaim him. You have to declare him. You have to communicate who he is, not just hope. I've said this before, that someone gets this, you know, by osmosis, that they need Jesus by looking at your life. That's not going to happen. Someone may ask you questions. That may occur. But listen, that's not going to be a lot of different people. People are just going to assume you're a good person. That's what they're going to think, right? And so they'll leave it at that because that's what our world feeds into people's minds anyway is that, listen, you don't need God to be good. We just need to be good because we're good by nature. That's false. That's not what the Bible teaches. And so the first thing he says is that we preach. And, and, and I love the fact that he says, him we preach. So Christ we preach. And then the next thing he says, warning. Say warning. And then the next thing, after that he says, teaching, say teaching. And so he says, warning, he says, and he we preach, warning and teaching. And I want you to notice that he used this word, every man after warning, every man after, pre, after teaching, and then, he, and then he uses every man after present perfect. And so what does this show? Is that this is God's heart, and that every person that comes in contact with the gospel, we want to do what? We want to warn them, right? And warning means to warn. That's what it means. It means to raise a red flag. It needs to communicate, hey, man, you're thinking 
could be off. Your way of reasoning could be off. Your lifestyle may be wrong. It is warning them of the wrath of God that is to come. And so when I look at warning, it's not just about warning believers. For sure, you should warn believers. But it's about warning those who don't know Christ. It is about making sure that they are hearing the truth of God's word, that there is only one way under the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. It is important that we make that connection, that we realize that we warn, but then also that we teach. What does teaching mean? Teaching means to instruct. It means to show people the way. It's not just warning and communicating, hey, man, you're on the wrong path, you're on the wrong road. It is showing them how to live on the right path, how to walk on the right road, how to do things according to the will of God. And the purpose is what? It's to present every man, every man, every man, not just some man, but to present every man. That means every believer in the body of Christ, every person that is in the church. Listen to me. When you look around this room, you come to the next service and you look around that room, every person in that room is our responsibility to make sure that they are growing, that you are growing in maturity and about presenting them before God in a manner that is what? Perfect. Perfect. Which doesn't mean that you are sinless or faultless. It means mature. That you are mature before Christ, that you are growing in your faith in Christ, that we are really engaging people. That's what that's about. It's about engaging people where they are. Where are you at and how can we build you more? Engaging you where you are. Finding out where you are. What level are you at in your spiritual life? What understanding of scripture do you have? Where are you? And then taking you from that place and building your faith stronger in Christ Jesus. All of this is with the understanding of what? I am, you are, we are part of what God is doing. Amen? Amen. Third thing, repeat this after me. Say a ministry of hope is one of hard work. So we started with suffering, and then we're going to end with hard work. I'm telling you, I'm giving you hope. If you're going to, if you're going to work for the glory and the honor of God, this is not some walk in the park. And this is not just along the lines of suffering. For sure, there is the suffering side of this. And in work, sometimes suffering connects with this. But what does the Apostle Paul tell us in this last verse here? He says, to this end, in other words, this is the goal. This is to, the goal is to present all mature, to preach, to teach, to, to help them to grow in their faith. To this end, he says what? He says, I labor striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. And so look at those words that he uses there. He shows us what? Hard work is the result of a willingness to suffer for the hope of the gospel and a commitment to the maturing faith of others. I'll say that again. Hard work is the result of a willingness to suffer for the hope of the gospel and a commitment to the maturing faith of others. You see, I'm only going to work hard when I really say, you know what, God, I'm willing to suffer for your glory. I'm willing to suffer for your glory. I'm willing to suffer whatever it is that I'm going to I'm willing to do that. And, and when I'm willing to suffer for that and I'm committed to the maturing faith of others, and you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to be willing to work hard. I'm going to work hard. And so what do these words here mean when he talks about this? He makes it clear what, what real ministry is like. See, see some people, and, and, and you know, and this happens, right? Where you see someone doing something like, man, I'd love to do that. Ever happen? Man, I, or, or, or this one better, right? I, know, I don't want you to embarrass yourself and say this because this would be very prideful of you. Um, you know, I could do that better. I'm the only prideful one that that's ever happened to, right? 
I remember, I, I, remember, I remember like clear as day, I went to meet with my pastor, and I was probably like two years old or something like that in the Lord, and um, we had a youth, a youth pastor at the time, and I was like, you know, man, you know, I think that I could do a better job than him, not, not pastoring, you know, because I, I didn't think that, that much of myself yet, but I thought enough of myself to be like, but I could do the Wednesday night Bible study better than he does. I could do that. And so I remember sitting down in a car, you know, I, I waited all day long to talk to him. I ended up going all over the place with my pastor because he had some errands to run. I ended up going with him, and I didn't have an opportunity to talk to him. And finally, you know, because I was like, I need to talk to him. And so at the end of the day, he's like, so what's up? You know, you've been here all day. And so I said, well, pastor, you know, I've really been thinking about the Wednesday night classes and yada, yada, yada. And so I went through this whole story with him, and um, he was like, okay. And then he asked me the question. He was like, so do you think you could do a better job? Hindsight being 2020, I should have said, I don't know. But I did not say that. <laughs> I said, yes, I do. <laughs> I don't think, and all joking aside, I don't think there's something wrong with saying that, right? What I, what I know is this, right? If you, if you feel like, man, I think I could do a better job. It's with the heart that you said. I don't think that I was necessarily being prideful and arrogant or whatever the case is. But I realized something. When I started teaching on Wednesday night Bible study, it wasn't as easy as it looked. It wasn't as easy to connect with the youth as I thought that it was. There were moments of difficulty, and it was like, oh, this isn't as easy. You know, I, thought, I thought he was just, like, not that good. It wasn't that. It's that these people were sinners, you know? <laughs> not that you guys are, but, you know, anyway. I'm <laughs> but, the, but, but, but the reality is, is that we, we see people do stuff, and we're like, man, I think I can do that. I would love to do that. But we don't realize the work that it takes in order to do that. And so what does he say? He says to labor. You know what that word labor means? It means to work to the point of exhaustion. How about that? You know what the word struggle means? When he, it says that he struggled because it says I labor, and, and he says striving in my, in my version, but another version says struggling. You know what that means? That's the word that we get the English word agonize. So this is what real ministry is. It is laboring, working until exhaustion in agony. How about that? Anybody want my job? Come on. We're, I'm, you know, I'm just saying, like, you know, you want to do Minister Eric's job? I mean, you want to do, you want to do Minister Lou's job? You want to do, you know, Minister Rob's job? You want to do somebody's job? Like, I mean, you, you want to take that? Take it. Glory to God. You can work to exhaustion, and you can agonize over what? You can agonize over the development of that ministry, the development of those people, the growing, the growing faith of those people. You can labor and work hard, but can I tell you something? See, here's the hopeful part. Here's the beauty of this, is that Paul says he does does this by the power of God, the energy of God. And, and, and you need to understand this when you think about ministry, because I made that sound really bad. But what I want you to realize is this, is that when you are laboring to exhaustion, when you are agonizing over the call of God to see people grow in their faith and in maturity in Christ, you know what happens? God energizes your life. And so I'm not giving my job up. Hello. Because I realize something that a lot of people don't get, and it is this. We must recognize that we will never fully experience the power of God outside of the service of God. Understand that. Everybody wants the power of God. We all want to see God's power. We want God to use us. We want God to touch us. We want God to fill us. But my question is, why would he fill you if you're not willing to serve him? Why? Why, why, why would he empower you if you're not willing to serve him? And listen, I believe we serve him in many areas of our lives, but in this particular case, we're talking specifically 
about us being given to the ministry call of being those who are sharing the hope, who are sharing the mystery. As we seek to be ministers of the gospel of hope, we may suffer, but we will have joy. Amen? We may become exhausted and be in agony, yet we will be energized by the Spirit of the Lord. That is the hope that we have. And so here is my closing question for you. Do you have the hope of Christ? That's the first one that I have. Do you have the hope of Christ? In other words, are you a believer in this place? Have you put your faith in Christ? Have you trusted him? Have you turned away from your sin and said, God, I surrender my life to you? If you have not done that today, you can walk out of here with that hope. You can turn from your sin. You can call upon him because of what he did for you on the cross. And you can leave this place knowing that he loves you, knowing that you're in a relationship with him. And the second question is this. For those of you that say, yes, I have the hope of Christ, it is, are you being a vessel of hope? So if you say, yes, I have the hope of Christ, I 100%, I'm good to go with that. So then my second question is, are you being a vessel of hope? Does your life produce the hope for others to be able to experience the love, the power, the hope that there is in Christ? We're called to be vessels of hope. And so if you say no to that question, if you say, man, I'm not really being a vessel of hope today, I call you to repentance. Say, God, help me to be a vessel of hope. Amen? So I'll stand on our feet. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so, so very much for the hope that we have in you. Thank you for loving us, loving us abundantly. Thank you for the hope that you've given us, Jesus. Thank you for the grace that you show us in today. I pray for my brothers. I pray for my sisters. I pray for all of us in this place. May we be a people of hope. May we be vessels of hope to others, not solely on a Sunday morning or a gathering of believers, but God, throughout our day, throughout our week, and every contact that we have, God, let us seek opportunities to inject the hope that is you. Father, for anyone in this place that does not know you, for anyone in this place that has not put their faith in you, Spirit of God, draw them near. Liberate them from the plans, from the power, from the works of darkness. And I pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise. He is worthy.